Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, joining us for online affiliates around the world, we're glad that you all could be with us as well. I'm excited to welcome back best-selling author James Rollins to our broadcast today. He's celebrating a brand-new book that is another page-turner. It's called Tides of Fire. We're going to talk to James not only about the early success of this book, but also what it's been like from the right books that readers can't get enough of that really do take us, I think, to places that we hope that we will be able to do the things that his characters do, and also, of course, um, to be as good as some of the characters he creates, like the character that we're able to meet in this new book that I think you guys are going to really like, Gray. We're going to also talk to him about the journey for him, what it's been like for him to stay connected with his readers, and of course, let you guys know how to get your own copy of the book. James, thank you again for the time. Really do appreciate it. I appreciate it very much, Cyrus. It's always fun being on your program. Well, I appreciate that. Well, this book, I mean, it is one of those books that really does, I mean, pull you in from the very beginning. You've been hearing, I don't know, the early responses. Talk to us about this journey for you. I mean, it's under the Sigma Force a series, but what has it been like for you to see the response to this early book, James, and the way that people are really getting into it? You know, it's, that's one of the best things about, uh, about writing is your book tour. You know, basically writing is a very solitary profession. You, uh, you're locked in your office. You're, you're don't get to communicate all that much, except maybe via social media. But on the book tour, you get to go out and meet people. It's like a, it's like a victory lap. Uh, you get to hear people, how excited they are about the series, about the characters. Uh, it's so, I love my Q&A because uh, you sort of get the idea of what fascinates people about the books. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's quite a joy to be able to sort of share that. Whenever I read a book, I always like to, to find somebody I can talk to about the book. And yeah. so when I go on the tour, it's like, you know, being able to have this huge audience in which I get to, to share the story behind the book and, you know, my excitement about the book and also to hear what their responses are. Love that. And I think that's one of the things I love about this program, too, having the opportunity to do exactly that, James. So that's why we're glad to have you on with us. I want to talk about, you know, what has become known as this series, though. I mean, did you know going in that it was going to have the life that it's had, James? Oh, not at all. As a matter of fact, I did not want initially to do a series. Uh, my publishing house was very adamant about it. You know, Jim, do a series. Jim, do a series. And I was like, I don't want to. You know, I like doing standalone thrillers. And, and I had a, a problem with series, especially series uh, with a feature one character. It's what I call mm-hmm. the, um, the the Murder, She Wrote syndrome. Remember Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She yeah, Wrote? There's that woman from yeah. Cabot Cove that's always falling over dead bodies. I've never fallen over a dead body. <laughs> so you begin to wonder, what's wrong with that woman? Um, yeah. And so your suspension of disbelief comes strained, and it's hard to maintain tension in that environment because, you know, if someone pulls a gun on Jessica, you know that trigger's never going to be pulled because she's in next week's episode. So I, I didn't really want to do a series. Um, and then I wrote my book, Sandstorm, which features Sigma for the first time. At that point, uh, the current director, Painter, is still a field agent in that book, and they're more sort of supportive characters for the main cast of characters. They weren't the, the primary, uh, you know, characters of that story but i like the idea of sigma force you know these special forces soldiers that have been drummed out of the service for various reasons but because of special aptitude or skills they're secretly hired by darpa to be the defense department's uh field operatives basically scientists with guns and i thought i could base a series 
on a group of characters rather than an individual. Then I get around that, that, that syndrome I was just describing because the threat can come from very many, many different directions. It's just that one person stumbling into a problem time after time after time. Also, I can maintain that jeopardy because it's a group of characters, so no character is necessarily safe. Uh, I've eliminated major characters over the course of these 17 novels to shock the readers, but also remind them nobody's safe, so I can maintain that level of jeopardy. I love that, and I think that is also part of the realism, right, of of, of this series as well, and and the Sigma Force and the work that they that they do and the dangers they're put in. Now, with that being said, uh, the character that really stands out in this book is Gray Pierce. And then when I was reading this book, and I think I was before I took my first break, I think I was fifty or sixty pages in, James, but. As I was going through, I love a description that you kind of give about Gray that kind of stands him out and stands him apart. And it, it kind of reminds me of some of the other characters you've been able to create that really do have this thing that makes us connect with them. And, and Gray in conversation, they discuss what's, what they refer to as his strange mind. And I want to read what you said about, about his mind and the way he sees things and kind of ask you about your connection with him. Because for those who have the hardcover like I do, it's on page uh, 110. And then you wrote this, James, after a decade with Sigma, he had come to realize his talent wasn't so much a matter of thinking outside the box as it was throwing everything into that box and shaking it into some semblance of order revealed itself. Is that kind of like with the writing process for you, James, to be able to do just that? <laughs> Pretty much, you know. That, that's a, and I, I haven't even thought about that myself until you brought this up, Cyrus. Thank you. Uh, there's an old adage: writers are naked on the page. We expose more about ourselves than we think we do, uh, and maybe that's what's happened here. Uh, because I actually have what I call my idea box, and that's where I collect mm. a bunch of uh, miscellaneous information. You know, bits of historical mysteries. You know. Uh, piece of history that ended a question mark, something I can solve within the pages of a novel, or those scientific tidbits that make me go, what if, where's that headed, you know, where, what threat might that engender, or, or, or strange locations that would be cool to set an action set piece in. And it's, it's a jumbled mess. It's, uh, I don't have any order to it. It's chaotic. Uh, but what I do is occasionally just to keep it limited to one box is I go through it and I, I'll cull through, you know, get rid of things that no longer interest me or the science has changed or maybe another author has tackled that subject matter that I can throw it out. But in that process of, of juggling through that, you know, that piece of science and that piece of history will end up in my hand at the same time or on the floor next to each other at the same time. And only then do I begin to see a connection between those two points. And then, of course, I'll research to see if there truly is a story there, and sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. But uh, what happens usually is like a snowballing effect where I'll have those two ideas that will mesh together, and as I do research, I find more and more ways they connect, and that builds into the story that I know I want to tell. So how did this particular novel, Tides of Fire, what was kind of the seed for you with this book, James? Oh, this is sort of embarrassing to say. Uh, it actually started a long time ago. Uh, when I was a boy, I, I saw a movie. It was called uh, Krakatoa East of Java. Uh, it stars Maximilian Schell and the young Brian Keith. Uh, and it's basically the uh, dramatization of the eruption of, of Krakatoa in the Southeast Asia in 1883. You know, it's a big, gigantic volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, tsunamis. And me as a, as a young boy, you know, watching this on the big screen, you know, certain movies imprint on you. Uh, I'm sure you have a, a slew of movies that sort of stick with you forever. This is one yeah. of them. And I knew, you know, sometime along, I wanted to try to, you know, capture that sort of suspense and action and, and thrill into into a novel format. So I described this novel sort of as a, a disaster movie in novel format. That was my impetus to, to, to start this novel. I just didn't know what, 
how to connect those pieces together. So that was germinating in the back of my mind for, for you know, probably four or five years. And then slowly I began piecing together the pieces that would become that snowball effect that became this novel. So you know, nobody out there, you know, look up the date that movie was actually filmed. Because <laughs> I was in the theater when I saw it. So that might give you some indication of my age, so don't look that up. Right, right, and and I love the fact that with the uh, the the title alludes to. I mean, you're able to kind of take us literally to the depths here. Uh, there's another character. I want to make sure I pronounce the name cor- correctly. Is it pronounced Kowalski? Kowalski, correct. Yeah, uh, that another memorable character in this book, and I think it's it's great that you be able to ca- give us these different characters, like of course Gray and Kowalski, that allows us to be able to see not only of course the action but the dangers. I want to talk about though the moral compass here, though, because it's interesting sure. seeing this play out. James, talk to us about that, because there are people on both sides who will think that they're they're doing something just uh, or doing something right. What was that like for you to play with with this book? Well, one of the fun things of being an author is you get to put your you know, your feet in many different shoes. You know, you get to put yeah. different, different hats on different characters, and that applies also to the villains of the story. Uh, I always find that you know the best villains are not those that you know twirl their mustache and think evil thoughts. They're the ones that are they believe what they're doing is just. They believe that they their cause is just as justified as the hero's journey is. And uh, so, to me, the best villains are those that that are credible and they're credible because you're going to take those readers, put them in their shoes and show them what they're thinking, why they're motivated to do what they do. Uh, of course, they come in conflict with your characters who have their own, uh, you know, justifications for what they want to accomplish and do. And so they, of course they come at odds, they butt heads. Uh, and that's where the, the tension of the story uh, appears. And I think in this book where, you know, we're trying to figure out, of course, for one, I mean, who's kind of behind the chaos, but I think also trying to figure out the idea of trust. Trust is something that comes up almost as a character in your books in, in many ways. Is it because of, for one thing, <laughs> the, the type of work that we find these, these characters involved in, of course, in the series with Sigma Force, uh, James, that trust is one of those things that definitely has to be earned, as, especially in Tides of Fire? Of course. I mean, at this point, motivation is always uh, in question with, with different characters. And the, the fun part of being a raw author is you get to explore that. You get to see uh, you know, how distrust can lead you astray and how uh, putting your faith in certain things can also lead you just as much astray. And in this book, you know, we have uh, a billionaire who builds this gigantic undersea uh, exploratory complex. And uh, you know, he, it's a privately funded ex, uh, scientific exploration, and so we get to look at things like, you know, is that right? Should should science should science be funded by a, by a billionaire? And we, uh, oddly enough, just a, one of those little weird serendipity, if you can call it that, or just tragedy. Uh, you know, we saw the just recently the people that went down in the submersibles to explore the yeah. rest of the Titanic and the implosion. Right. And again, that was funded by a billionaire who was building his own sort of exploratory thing. And it's sort of weird that it echoes what happens in this novel is we have a billionaire who you know, designs his own subs. And at some point in this book, there is an implosion that occurs. So um, the question that arises, you know, exactly how much is that, is that, what is the positives and negatives of, of, privately funded scientific research. You know, it can lead to, you know, cutting corners, which can lead to tragedy, or it can lead to misinformation or, or, or tainted knowledge that can corrupt science. So those are some of the things I'd love to explore in these books. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's so much, and I think, too, the idea, as we've seen in other books in this series, James, that these individuals are willing to give it all 
for what they believe in on both sides, right? I think that's the, the thing. Um, there, you know, there are some points in the book where the action really gets tense, and I think about characters like Brian, and and of course wanting to do what's right, but knowing what what it could cost. Um, it goes back to something you said at the beginning, though, about not having to worry about anyone being safe. So, were there surprise? You don't have to tell us exactly what, but. Were there ways that you thought things would happen that that didn't end up happening in, in this book? And again, you don't have to go into detail there. Oh, oh definitely. I, I don't work from a very firm outline. I do have a sketchy outline I work from. I know the beginning. I know the end. I know some of the tent poles are going to hold up the story. But I don't know how A connects to B connects to C. To me, one of the joys of writing is that discovery between those tent poles is mm-hmm. the story and characters take off in, in strange ways. Uh, you know, Kowalski you mentioned before. Uh, he first appeared in my book Ice Hunt, one of the standalones, before I sort of bowed to the, the, the will of my publisher and produced the series. But I liked him so much, uh, even though he didn't quite belong in Sigma Force, um, I recruited him anyways. Um, so it's, things happen unexpectedly, uh, certain turns of events I don't anticipate. Something surprised me, just hopefully it surprises the, the, author, the reader. rather. I like to paint my characters into corners that I don't know how to get them out to. Uh, people ask occasionally, do you ever get writer's block? Well, not necessarily, but what I will oftentimes do is I'll get stuck because I don't know how to get my characters out of a jam. And, and that's a good jam to get them into because if I don't know how to get them out of that, that situation, neither is my readers. So then I have to spend some time you know, thinking about, well, how are they going to get out of that situation? And then it will take me a day or two to judge the plot to figure out how to make that happen. Right. Speaking of time, I did want to ask you about this because, I, I mean, as always, you really do take us into the action, James. You've done it, again, with Tides of Fire. What what type of research does it take for a book like this? Because so much of it is underwater. What type of research kind of goes into a book like this? Um, again, it's I, I allow myself 90 days of really intense research. I mean, we're talking 10, 12, 14 hours a day. It's, wow. it's, it's reading books. It's reading journal articles. It's, you know, doing searches on the Internet. But probably where I get the most information from, and, and as I'll describe it, you know, I, I do like to research. As you read my books, you'd probably know I like to research, but I'm a lazy researcher. I would <laughs> prefer somebody to tell me something rather than me having to look it up. So what I love to do is talk to these scientists. You know, I talk to marine biologists, talk to oceanographers, I talk to the developers of submer- submersibles uh, for this story. And what I because my books have a, a scientific leaning. Yes, there's a historical aspect to the story, but there's also very you know, strong ex- sort of extrapolation of where science might be headed to in certain topics. And uh, for that to work well, I, uh, I need to get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, because science changes very rapidly. And my secret fear is I'm going to write something that by the time my book comes out, uh, it's going to be out of date or wrong. And it takes me a while, you know, between those 90 days of research, writing my first draft, editing it, uh, getting it to the publisher, then it still takes about 8 to 12 months before it hits the shelves. That's a long time. So the things can happen where science changes rapidly. So I prefer when I'm talking to these scientists, you know, don't tell me what you're going to write in your next book or that journal article you're working on because that information is already going to be months, if not years old. You know, look right. over your shoulder and tell me what's on your work table right now. Uh, I need that immediacy, that, uh, that current aspect to it. And some people say, hey, Jim, it's so weird that you're, you raise this topic, and then as soon as your book comes out, you know, that topic is in the news. You know, are you clairvoyant? Uh, no, it's because I talked to the scientist two years ago, and he told me what he was working on the forefront that he was at the edge of, and I put it in my book. and just happens that his research comes out by the time my book comes out, so it feels very topical and of the moment, but just because I, I had advanced foreknowledge. Yeah. 
And I think that's definitely what that realism is what we enjoy so much for sure. And I think, you know, in a book like this, I mean, when I first got into it, James, I wasn't really sure what to expect. But once again, I mean, you you bring it around the story that even though we may have never been in this world, in this space, we feel like we're there because of the detail, again, going to the, the benefit of the research there. So you mentioned, of course, I want to end this segment talking about the fans because you mentioned what it's been like for you going out and being able to, to spend some time with them. Do, do you find yourself sometimes in the, those situations, do you still have, James, those wow moments? I mean, you have had such success as, as, as a best-selling author, being able to have your books read, I mean, literally all over the world, do you still have those wild moments where you kind of pinch yourself? Oh, definitely. I mean, when I first started, you know, I was a practicing veterinarian. I still do some, some, some uh, volunteer work with my veterinary degree. But my only goal when I started writing was uh, just maybe to walk into a bookstore one day and see one book on the shelf. Uh, I, did, I was not planning a career change. I loved being a veterinarian. Uh, this was just a hobby. But then, you know, one book became two, two became four. And this book is the 17th in the Sigma series, but it's my 44th novel. Wow. So, uh, you know, now not only do I have a book on the shelf, but, I, you know, now I have the shelf uh, at this point. Right. Books out there. <laughs> and uh, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty a wild moment. But also it's, it's great over the course of, this, of my career, you know, meeting my idols. You know, I was a huge fan of Clive Cussler and to be able to, you know, meet him and interview him and, you know, shake his hand. You know, I, I met Michael Crichton before he passed away. Uh, you know, these are just the you know idols that you know it was just I felt so lucky to be able to you know be in the same type of uh, field as them to be able to to meet them. Yeah. Well, we are definitely appreciative of you and definitely appreciate your time today, and James. Again, everyone, James Rollins has been our guest. The new book is Tied to Fire. You can get it, of course, to our friends at Amazon or through your favorite local bookstore if they don't have it. I know they'd be more than happy to order it for you. James, how can we stay connected with you and all the great things happening with you? Well, I've got a great website, uh, jamesrollins.com, very imaginatively named. And basically, I call it the Encyclopedia of James Rollins, you know, everything you want to know about the books. But also, there's a Q&A for those that those uh, people that want me want to write, you know, I, I give you some sort of tools of the trade. Uh, but also, I'm on social media a lot, and uh, so if you want to know the day in and day out of James Rollins, you know, follow me on Facebook or Twitter X or whatever they happen to call it these days, um, <laughs> social media. Got you. Well, James, thank you again for being gracious with your time. Really do appreciate it. I'm looking forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much, Cyrus. I appreciate it. And more than welcome. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Thank you, as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care. <laughs>